Nobody's going to donate to Grumpy Old Ben's demanding that Sir Bemrose shut up. Welcome to episode number 49 of Grumpy Old Ben's. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of Middle America, just outside of Chirac, where there's finally snow on the ground and the snowblower actually started. So I was happy about that. And from America's left coast, where you are entitled to the fruits of your labor, so long as your Silicon Valley overlords allow it, I'm Ryan Bemrose. No. You can't have in your in your area. You can't have guns. You don't have rights. You vote by app. I mean, which come on, Iowa. What did you just learn? Are you guys still planning on voting by app? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, do we want to talk about the Iowa thing? I think we should. I mean, being tech guys, I mean, I know we're not always a politics kind of a show, but as tech guys, and I know we've touched we're, on we're this not? a little bit, but this concept of voting by app is nuts way too many things can go wrong why would anybody even do this except for the fact that they want they they want the ability for the fix to be in and if somebody can give me a better answer than that i'd be willing to listen because we've had how many elections in our lifetime and i'm going to be 50 the even way back when as far back as i can remember i mean i'm probably going back to about reagan getting elected when i was 10 years old they knew the day of the election who won so what do you need this new technology for what is it doing is it speeding up things by moments you know by minutes what is the point if it's not to be able to to rig elections in ways that nobody's thought of before well like with any pretty much any motivation for installing an app it first comes down to convenience um it is inconvenient for these people to call someone on the phone and report the numbers because uh, nobody likes to talk on the phone. In fact, I think a lot of millennials don't even know how. So if if you have to take your phone away from your hand and put it up to your ear, it's not working. Uh, I think, you know what, I'm, do I really want to start this show with a rant against millennials? This isn't about that. It's It's just about it's it's a thing it's a thing that we have talked about before plenty of times on grumpy old bens which is the difference between technology enthusiasts and technology professionals and that is technology enthusiasts don't need a convenience argument they don't need uh they don't need any rational reasons for installing an app they want to install an app because it's an app and it's shiny and it's new and it's it's the future it's technology and when you have some IT guy, some dude named Ben sitting back and going, yeah, but um, there, there's this and this and this and this. And then all, you know, the tech enthusiast be like, don't be a naysayer. This is the future. Stop being a Luddite. And this Iowa thing is what you end up with. Yeah, no results for days. The results that are coming in now, questionable. And I think the main reason for that well, okay, is it was a Democrat caucus. I think the results were always going to be questionable. Well, that's true. With voting, I don't know if we are ready. Well, I know we're not ready from a technological standpoint 
to be going paperless. I'm okay with trying some of these systems in the voting places as long as the person that goes in to vote then actually gets a physical record, a paper ballot that also gets filed that they can verify that the person that they voted for was actually the one the ballot is showing because that is that is an important thing and this yeah. is when you get and into to, voting to be clear it, it doesn't need to be paper uh, no. i mean I, 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 not just the medium i mean it could be chipped into a stone tablet for all i care although there are other feasibility issues with that but what it needs to be is an indelible record of how each person voted that cannot be changed by some company on the back end twiddling bits in a database right and even if you do this a couple of times and go hey look the paper or stone tablet votes match exactly that's great but the minute you stop doing that uh extra step of having that record then anything can be screwed with and there's no way to go back and prove that it happened so i think the worst what's something as important as voting that yeah we should still be using paper as a backup and use the electronics to get your instant voting input that's great but then actually have people count them and make sure that what the computers are saying matches what was in the paper ballots what i think i think what you're getting at or at least my point at least and i'm going to go ahead and put words in your mouth sure is what we need is a the primary record of the voting needs to be offline because the state of online databases is such that they are a little bit too malleable and a little bit too leakable and a little can you hear that what my coffee maker just went crazy it's gurgling it has some serious upset stomach i did hear something like go but you know i didn't know what that was as long as it didn't explode i mean it's just a coffee emergency Uh, i i moved the coffee maker closer to my desk so i can reach it during the show this is important i just wasn't sure if you could uh, love this dynamic mic thank you for that anyways um I think that the in the age of a new data breach every five minutes and uh, databases leaking and databases where the Im- information is supposed to be indelible somehow getting changed, and I, I think we've reached the point where we're starting to realize that databases online are really useful for storing data, but you can only put so much trust in them. They they don't they, it, you can't. You cannot assume that just because something's in a database, that's absolutely correct, because whoever the admin in charge of the database is, they have the ability to change the truth in that case. Right. And so pushing our voting records into a database is very much going the wrong way. You need some method, preferably distributed, which uh, you know was what we had before, of, of producing something that cannot be easily modified. And, it, you know, the... Anytime that you centralize something, anybody that has access to that central location has the ability to mess with your system. Um, the system that we had before, paper ballots distributed in all of the polling locations, and in some cases even distributed amongst individual people, that has the properties that you you can't you can't repudiate it, you can't go back and change it afterward, not without compromising thousands of precincts. 
which is the way that you need to conduct the election. You need to make it economically infeasible to compromise the election. If all you have to do is pay $50,000 to some database administrator and, hey, look, my candidate won, then you're, you don't have a secure election. Right. Well, yeah, their man in the middle attacks are a problem as well, because how does that database get from, you know, if these are the votes counted in your local precinct, how do they get to the national where they're being uh, recorded? You know, somebody could be, uh, you know, emails can be intercepted. Somebody can have the wrong. You know, all you have to do is get somebody to go to the wrong website and put the database in. And then, you know, it's it's very yeah. easy and, to happen. Yeah. You know? And, and Dewadnam brings up a good point. I've been harping on the the corruption issues, which I think are rampant in elections pretty much everywhere in the world these days. Yes. But you don't even need corruption, even if everybody involved is completely right. Uh, in the troll room, Dewadnam says data entry people are sometimes incompetent. And that's correct. There are there are two ways that data can be screwed up. Well, there's probably more than two, but you know, one is intentionally and the other is unintentionally and both happen all the time. Right. Which is where the paper ballots came in. They weren't just being counted by one group and believed. I mean, there were checks and balances with this system as well, which is more than one person is counting that group of ballots. And if they don't match, then a third person goes. You know, it's one of those things to where, okay, person A gets these thousand ballots. They have their totals. That goes to person B. They then see if those two totals match. If they do, sure, then you can report them. But if person B has different results than what person A had, then you need to get to the point to where they match. And and the point is not to make certain that each and every one person has a perfect count, because that is just as infeasible as trying to compromise every person. Right. Somebody is going to screw up, and you know that. But the the reason you do multiple counts, and this is something that you know anybody who's cared about data security for the last five hundred years has known, is you do multiple counts because when they all match, you're pretty sure they all got it right. And when anything is wrong, you take a closer look and any kind of corruption or mistakes cannot stand up to the cleansing light of closer look, which is why I'm amazed that Well, I'm not amazed because it's Seattle, but (laughs) you're actually doing the voting by app. And I'm surprised what I'm, you know, what I'm surprised about is that. For federal elections, you know, such as the presidential election, I'm really surprised that the Fed doesn't have a one-stop shop where everybody has to use the exact same system and it's all provided by the same, you know, hopefully gone through, you know, all the security measures, but everybody has to use the same pen and paper, if you will, in order to, to make this thing work. It's very weird to me that there are different areas they're like no no it's fine we can vote by app and some places that are uh you know still doing it with the old number two pencils and scantrons and everything in between well the the state is responsible for determining how you need to or you know what what the results of the vote need to be i don't mean who won although there are people (laughs) at the state who probably try to determine that too hell yeah but but what i mean is they they it's kind of an api thing It, it is the secretary of state who runs the actual voting says everybody, you know, every precinct needs to report this kind of, uh, but yes, uh, Washington does allow different precincts to determine which method they use to vote. And 
uh, for many years, uh, and and I, I I want to be clear that this whole vote by app bullshit is not in my precincts. Um, I'm I'm still using the very secure system of you fill out your votes on a ballot, you seal it in an envelope, and then you put it into a public mailbox. Sure, that sounds really legit. Yeah, it is. It's it's far more secure than using an app. Well, the thing uh, that surprised me when you told me about that was you put the ballot into a public mailbox with your name and address on it. Oh, absolutely. And your signature on the front of the envelope. That Yeah, nothing will go wrong with that. Yeah, because because identity theft is not really a thing, at least as far as you know, state of Washington is concerned. I mean, are you including your social security number and maybe a strand of hair for DNA along with the ballot or? No, those are already in publicly available databases. Oh, well, that's good. That's much more convenient than for you. But when it comes to, again, you're the guy that understands coding more than the two of us, uh, as far as between the two of us. And I just can't wrap my head around voting via app and having any way to prove that the results are legitimate. Because if I get, you know, my pull up my phone, I'm voting. I say for president, oh, I definitely want to vote for uh, John Fletcher, the first transgendered candidate. And I press that. And my phone says, okay, you just voted for John Fletcher. Thank you for your vote. How do I know that is actually being counted? Well, if it's for John Fletcher, uh, it probably isn't. Uh, no matter how many people, I, uh, only people who listen to Hog Story really understand that John Fletcher is what's best for this country. Um, I, I, what was the question? With the app, how does the person who acts right, I sent you down the wrong path by using a ludicrous example of who we should vote for for president. But is it really that ludicrous? I don't know. I could be the best choice. He's definitely more qualified than almost everybody running. I mean, I just want Fletcher to wake up the day after the election, you know, hungover going, I got elected. What? Yeah. (laughs) The, The no agenda community has spoken. And that when. This is probably down there to get it all on camera. (laughs) But here's the thing. Once everybody's voting by app and the hackers have full control, that could happen. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's kind of the point Um, because you don't know how to figure out if those votes are legitimate or not, because somebody just punched into an app. That's it. In in every system. Uh, it's really about having trust in all of the places that data passes through and you, you don't have to, you, you know, you started this by saying, oh yeah, you're the programmer. You don't have to understand the syntax of particular programming languages to be familiar with the drawbacks and, and flaws and concerns in a, a particular system. And I think we have discussed on this show the concerns about apps over and over again is the blockchain going to save us me, the thing that concerns me the most about a voting app and and the this one in iowa had this characteristic and the one that they're using in king county also is that the local government precincts or or whatever body commissioned the app they're not the ones writing it they've They've contracted out to a Silicon Valley company and IP being what it is and Silicon Valley being what it is. Um, that company has created a closed source product 
and said, uh, yes, go ahead and install this inscrutable blob of code onto your device, your system, and trust us that there's no programming mistakes, there's no vulnerabilities, and that we haven't put in a backdoor. And that is a huge amount of trust and far, far more than is warranted for any Silicon Valley company. I don't care if you guys are the most trustworthy people in all of the state of California. It's still humans, and you should never give absolute trust of something as important as a full election in one group of people who are not auditable. Uh, I, I don't think... I don't know what it would take. You know, I, I'm, you know, believe it or not, I'm, I'm not actually a Luddite. Uh, I play one on this show, but I, I resist a lot of the technology that comes along, and it, it opens me up to people saying, "Oh, you just hate new technology." I don't hate new technology, but I want it to be more responsible and trustworthy. And and right now, the the industry gets led by tech enthusiasts, and people just go out there and they're like, "Hey, look, something new." And um, the well, you, the line. Do you remember the original Jurassic Park movie from like 1991? Sure. Uh, Jeff Goldblum's character had a fantastic line that continues to be true today, which is, "You guys spent so much time trying to decide if you could do something that you never stopped to think about whether you should." Right. And you talked about a vetting process, and think about that for software being involved in something like uh, national voting that you say, yeah, they go to a Silicon Valley company, but we all know what a majority of Silicon Valley companies are going to do when they get a job to build an app. They're going to outsource it to India or Russia or one of these places that uh, even if they build it in house, there's, there's going to be a couple of senior developers, uh, a bunch of mid-level developers and a few interns. And now you have to somehow assure me that none of them is going to introduce a bug that can be exploited by someone or that none of them are being contracted. Because, of course, we can't even read these contracts that are being written for outsourcing the software. So that how can you be sure that there isn't a, a clause written into the contract that says, you know, when I go up to the voting booth and, and press here and then enter this code that I get a backdoor and I can now change everything. Well, right. Which is a good point. Which one. There could be nefarious things put in there on purpose, but you talked about just having a bug be in the software. We've heard recently about bugs that were in the Windows ecosystem, which is no surprise to anybody listening to Grumpy Old Ben's, but you know, things that had existed for, you know, a decade. And we also heard of a the same type of thing with the pseudo environment in, in Linux which has been also something that has existed for over a decade, I believe, without it being found. And these are pieces of software that people trust. These weren't things that were put in there intentionally. Bugs can live a long time in software that people think is secure before the bugs are found. Yeah, you remember Meltdown? Yes. That was that was that was present in every Intel chip since 1995. Um, <laughs> you know, and there's no easy way to go. I mean, they're still dealing with all of these uh, issues with especially with the Intel architecture where it's like, oh, when it when it happens in the hardware. I mean, that's that's where issues really start happening. And you hope then that's not 
the issue if you have voting machines, but it's probably going to happen at some point where to be able to vet everything, to be able to vet everybody that's involved with the process makes it nearly impossible to believe it. Could you use it? Sure. But we still need that backup. Well, it is. It is possible. I, you, I. Did we break you? No, my phone started screaming. Uh, you know what? Can I rant about telemarketers for a moment? Okay. I mean, okay. Fuck sure. telemarketers. Stop. Hard left. What the fuck? Why? What happened in 2016 when the government said that they were going to stop spam fucking calls? What happened? Did you Where? believe that? No. Because no, most of them come happened. from outside of the U.S. So I'm still wondering how that's going I, to happen. Frankly, I'm just cranky that my Samsung phone did not actually come with a method. All I want is a really simple filter. If the number is not in my contacts list, take a fucking message. But you, it, no, it, it rings. You can do yeah. that, can't you? What were we talking about? I think there's a way to do that. I mean, is, I think there's probably third party software that'll yeah, do it. There is. It's it, yeah. Yeah. I can install an app. <laughs> Well, here we go again. And what do you, how do you feel about apps? I, I'm, I'm concerned. We were talking uh, about we're, vetting these yes. apps so and it, if they can ever possible. be trusted. It, no, it is possible to. And, and, and I think that it's probably going to be necessary because, you know, despite what old people like us, you know, being dragged, kicking and screaming into the future, it, it we're going to have to figure out how to make this system work using technology because the you know at some point uh paper is going to be a very scarce commodity and the ability to write with a pen is going to be lost from the generations right and and we're going to have to figure out how to make this accessible for more people that you know, for whatever reason, the old versions won't work. We're we're not there yet, and I think that everybody, even millennials, can be expected to figure out how to use a pen right now. Well, but at some point, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. But let me pose this to you and to the rest of the grumpy old Ben's audience: when it comes to voting via an app, let's assume. I mean, it's a big jump, I know, but let's assume that we can make it that this is actually secure. We've made that uh, jump somehow. Yeah, it, it is possible. And that has happened now. Let's just pretend we figured that part of this issue out. Who doesn't understand that cell phones work in a way that every vote that you're going to put into this system <laughs> is going to be tagged with your IMEI slash, which is basically like a MAC address. Oh, or- my God. You're opening up the privacy can of worms. Yes, you have let, to. Let, let, let me just button that down and, and go into the reliability. I, I just want to cap this off. Um, it is possible to do electronic voting in such a way that it is secure. Um, there are a lot of rigorous steps to be involved, but the problem is that nobody who is running the election, if, if you look from everybody from the top down, nobody is motivated to do these steps correctly and accurately. Uh, at the very top, you have the people in power who really don't care about a fair election. That's never been their concern. Their concern is about, at the very end, having public opinion believe that they were elected. And 
whether that means manipulating public opinion through propaganda or manipulating voting results or whatever, they just want to be reelected. That's all they care about. Uh, and and a, especially the more corrupt they are, the more likely it is that a fair election will get them out. So they don't necessarily want that. Uh, the people running the software don't are, are not motivated to go and do all the checks and balances because that is a ridiculous amount of work. Uh, more importantly, they're not motivated to open source their software, which is a requirement because if it's closed source, then every single precinct that wants an app can come to them and cha-ching, cha-ching each and every, you know, if you charge uh, $100,000 of each precinct to use your pre-built closed source app to vote, then you make a lot of money. So obviously the you know, the Silicon Valley companies, least of all, whoever contracts this app is very, very not motivated to open source it. Uh, you know, the, the precincts themselves uh, are are not motivated by accuracy and results because the, the government is not pushing it because the secretary of state or whoever, they are motivated by uh, getting people through and at the end of the day, being able to report because you know what? Do they, why do they get punished? They, the Secretary of State comes by and's like, uh, "How many people voted for this candidate?" And if you don't have an answer, that's when you get screwed over. So that's what they're trying to avoid. They just want to have an answer. They don't really care too much if it's the correct answer. Um, in fact, the only thing countering most of these would be civic duty, which is. Not a very powerful motivator when compared to greed, to avoiding getting chewed out. Uh, the only people who really care that much about accuracy in the voting are the public. And even they don't care that much because. But well, if you're going to pretend, ones- if you're going to pretend you want accuracy when you do the app voting, you have to take the IMEI slash serial number slash mac address whatever you want to call it from the device to make sure it can only vote once privacy yeah there is a long history uh in in voting everywhere but i know at least in america where voting is supposed to be anonymous and uh why is that you know so people cannot be targeted i mean you see the vile reaction that people have to anybody that voted for donald trump what do you think would happen if everybody was voting via app in this next election and President Trump wins re-election, do you not believe that somebody would do whatever they could to get a hold of that database and publicly dox everybody that voted for Trump? Well, people were doing that without the database in 2017. I mean, yeah, as somebody from Chicago, why don't you go ahead and tell us what can happen when everybody (laughs) can be held accountable at the point of a gun or a bat for their votes well we have we have the high we are very proud in chicago we have the highest percentage of deceased people voting yes uh and it, even even california who has an incredible number of people who are not even americans can't really i mean they they at least think that you have to be people and the other thing that you have to start thinking about is if you're voting via app and i'm granted um well uh, is it a hundred percent in in your area i guess uh for the places that are doing it what happens if somebody doesn't have the smartphone or doesn't want to vote (laughs) that way then congratulations you've been disenfranchised yeah well you can't legally do that i I, okay to be honest i think 
and and I haven't looked because all I've done is read some newspaper articles and rolled my eyes because that's really the only response you can have to this sort of thing. Um, they are they are not requiring people vote by app. The the big breakthrough, the first in the nation in King County, is everybody has the option to vote by app. Uh, the the fallback is still the system which uh for for a group of progressive leftists who absolutely believe that the homeless deserve more rights than the citizens um they're still disenfranchising the homeless because most homeless don't have an address which is the only thing that you actually have to have in order to vote in the state of washington you have to have an address and you have to be able to get mail there because your ballot will be mailed out that's it's all vote by mail which means you can't there are no precincts where you can walk in and write down your vote there are places you can take your paper ballot if you got it walk in fill it out and then drop it into a drop box but that's the best you got well i'm curious when it comes to the apps if it would work like we have here in illinois when we need to uh, get our license plates renewed they send out something in the snail mail that says okay you owe whatever for your license then send in a check or go to our website here is your login id here is your password and i'm just wondering if that would do be they, the do system they print the password on the mail yeah in, well inside of the mail but this just again would lead to people I, I, stealing the mail yeah I, I was gonna say mail theft is a thing yes you <laughs> know fact, and uh, <laughs> these are the questions i have when it comes down to voting with app or let's say you know, you, the, the mail comes into your house and then your 12 year old kid sees, oh, here's the login and password to go vote for mommy. And I logged in and voted for John Fletcher. You know, I don't in know. Fact, we've seen we've seen a significant increase in mail theft uh, just starting this month as people finally as people start to get their early tax returns in. Oh, nice. Yeah. Get a hold of those checks. Yeah. So, it's not as common now since you now have the option of giving your bank account details to the federal government so that they can direct deposit it and then go ahead and remove more funds later when they want well they have that information anyway i'm pretty sure but <laughs> this goes down the, the rabbit hole though when you start going to this kind of technology and it's like yeah it would be great if there was a way to do this that was secure and there is as you said it just takes a little bit more work but it's not a simple thing to move to a system that is completely existing in the digital world and make it secure and make it accurate and make it so you have those checks and balances even if we create the perfect system anything can be hacked so even if you created a completely secure system you cannot rely that it's staying secure and if you don't have a way to verify those results i mean it's all just fantasy anyway i guess yeah well the the, this perfect system of yours it's it's just yet another it's your voting utopia and you know what happens to utopia is the moment that you add humans yeah things go poorly which yeah. I, we need to i mean it, and it's related to i guess to the concept that we're talking about here with voting via app but i think we have to take a victory lap because it wasn't that long ago we talked about the fact that light bulbs were going to be the bane of your existence as far as getting your home network hacked oh and, yes and it's happened they the yeah. hue light bulb not only 
what, what, what you're saying is is it actually went public and went and the story went viral that it was happening because i assure you even when we did that story it was happening yeah it was happening and it maybe it just wasn't uh widespread at that point or getting to the light bulb i don't think was ever that hard this new group whoever did this figured out how to go from the light bulb through the hub to pcs that are connected to the network so it's genius and they said it could be done from what like 300 meters away or something it's crazy stuff it's it and you know security through layers uh any dude named ben worth his salt will know that when you get these iot devices uh, again whose software you can't audit uh you don't keep them on the same network with the devices that you actually care to keep secure because it's one thing if somebody gets into your network and can turn your lights on and off that's annoying and inconvenient and and could have a, a host of issues that would be fascinating in a short story but if somebody gets in and then the only thing they can get to is your other light bulbs you're more secure than if somebody gets in and they're on the same network as your pcs exactly and because you you have to look at the fact that the world you're living in now it doesn't seem to be that great of a jump to go you could have a state sponsor let's say china or russia that would have a company make a bunch of light bulbs ip cameras whatever it is sell them really cheaply to the united states market and basically just be hacking the whole nation through it um you you didn't make that up in fact china made that up five years ago and started doing it oh well see then they knew what was going on okay here's another question about these light bulbs how many of them are are sharing the same LAN with a bunch of windows 7 machines that are no longer being patched yeah or um, you know what you say windows 7 but i guarantee you there are still people running windows xp oh there are uh (laughs) in fact um my (laughs) actually i was at a doctor's office the other day and while i was in the waiting room i actually i got into a talk with uh the receptionist there was trying to do scheduling and her scheduling app was crashing on one computer over and over again and she could not get her work done so she went back to the other computer in the back of the office and and it was a little inconvenient because she kept having to come to the front desk and talk and get information and then go back to the back computer in the office and i went ahead and took a glance back there because i was chatting with her she you know i wasn't a security threat at all uh no she didn't mind me just kind of glancing through stuff but the back office computer was running windows xp the front office computer her it had just upgraded to windows 10 because most of the or not i'm sorry the back office wasn't xp it was windows 7. uh the windows 7 computer was working but (laughs) because microsoft and their planned obsolescence has decided that all windows 7 computers must be changed and all of these computers which have been doing one function and doing them just fine for a very long time are now basically microsoft is saying no you have to get off of it and move Uh, that everybody is being forced to go to windows 10 everybody's being forced to purchase windows 10 spend extra money this is a huge boon for microsoft because oh my god the the share on their newest os is finally going above windows 7 but the the lost productivity in the office that i went to alone because the iet department 
converted the front office computer to Windows 10. And she she was telling me, uh, oh yeah, well, you know, they said they're going to come back and do all the office computers in two weeks, and and I'm dreading that. And I'm like, yeah, I understand why. Because from the perspective of somebody just wants to get their work done, um, trying to force an OS over install is a big pain in the ass that you don't need. Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, the one thing you can say is that at least Microsoft gave people an opportunity to get Windows 10 free. Not that everybody wanted it, but, you know, so it was weird. It's not like it's a total money grab. But at this point, when. Yeah, well, you- no, it, it, it it's not free now. The, there are workarounds if you claim that you're you're going for accessibility or something there's workarounds to get but the the normal path is windows will tell you you know we're sorry your version of windows doesn't work but here's one you can pay for that's, with, that's the one everybody with the hipaa laws in the united states how much trouble could a doctor's office get into for keeping records on an unpatched machine now uh none if they don't get caught (laughs) well okay and actually there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with keeping it on a windows 7 machine correct even unpatched there there is something wrong with allowing your data to leak which is why they have their it departments frantically trying to upgrade every computer in the entire system to windows 10 because you don't want it to leak because the cost of a leak is worth more than the that it job the it guy's head and if your doctor's office is filled with hue light bulbs to give you that very soothing oh, feel yeah <laughs> <laughs> nice callback yeah Love it. It, well i remember doing this uh you know as a to, to one of my old uh, eye doctors which was right down the street here and I noticed they had some, this was like in the early days of Wi-Fi and I you noticed they were using, this was like right when Wi-Fi started becoming a thing. And I remembered like driving there after they were closed, just into the parking lot with a laptop and a, uh, um, you know, one of these little uh, devices and was able to get into the network. It's like, there was nothing protecting it. And uh, I mean, we've come a long way since then, but not patching these machines. And I mean, you would hope that people understand the dangers of it but i don't think a lot of health professionals do that you know i don't think most of them even pay any attention to the their office i mean the people that are going to get fined aren't the people that work in accounting they're the people that you know the doctors whoever's in charge whoever's office it is that you know to to add that to their plate that you need to keep track of your systems and to make sure that all of this stuff has been upgraded and to make sure that nobody in the office decided to you know bring one of these hue light bulbs in because you know it's really cool i can we can have this in accounting it could it could really be soothing to have a little color or something added to it or any of these devices i'm sure a lot of doctor's offices have the need or at least could be helpful to add one of these ip cameras so they can monitor the you know the door who's coming in they can monitor who's in the waiting room how many people are in there all of these things that can lead pretty easily to another security threat. And I don't think most people understand that it's an issue. We do because we're paying attention to all of this stuff. And we go back to things like the casino that had their whale list stolen because they had a fish tank, which I think is still great. A internet connected fish tank 
and, and the just lobby. to be clear, the whales were not in the fish tank. The tank was not that big. Right. No. Yeah. Different kind of whales. Much. They would. They wish it was the 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 whales that would have been in in the water rather than the the, the multimillionaires who they were bringing in. But these are things that all of these little devices that you have to really as somebody that runs a company that is worried about it security you have to make sure you're on top of this stuff like i said nobody brings in a light bulb that's connected to the internet nobody brings in a camera nobody brings in any of these crazy little i you know internet of things devices that it's like hey it's a cool little gadget which could mean it could end up costing your company hundreds of thousands of dollars or more if it allows your data to be stolen so i don't know I, I think that's the the one real driving force behind preventing data breaches because the you know who who really loses when public data is lost it, it's the people that is uh, a distributed cost and you know each individual person uh okay you know what my my name and email are now in another hacker's hands and you know what's the real cost nobody thinks about that the the one thing that really motivates companies is uh the bad pr and maybe getting a fine or something that's about it yeah and 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 you know that's enough that a responsible company that you know well first of all responsible company tends to hopefully hire responsible it people um but they are going to motivate their it people to say no you need to protect this because we can't have a data breach uh you know the the most powerful motivation we have to prevent a company from having data breach is it tarnishes their good name but if they don't have a good name what do they care <laughs> right it doesn't really uh or if they don't have a name at all or if they're a company founded by a serial entrepreneur who knows damn well that four months from now they're going to shut down the company and go spawn a new one that nobody will have heard of so the bad press won't follow them well that is silicon valley isn't it you know you fail and yeah you just start a new company yes that that is and the, one of the other things we had talked about in a previous episode which was in the news again was the ability to pull data off of computers that aren't connected to the internet and these are still the kind of things that that fascinate me because i understand it's uh not really child's play to be able to break into a computer that's on the internet but it is by comparison of being able to pull data off a machine that isn't on the internet you know my, my friend my friend rachel who is apparently listening and works in healthcare uh is pointing out to me that the the real motivation at least in the healthcare industry is is hipaa because it is a hundred thousand dollars per instance and up to five years in prison although i don't know who spends that time in prison it probably won't be the it guy um and it won't be the executives because in this country we don't throw executives in prison so maybe it'll be a middle manager and maybe just the the cna who happened to be the first person who stumbled onto the computer when it got hacked i'm not sure which is why you don't want to be in charge of these things and when they say per case I'm assuming, does that mean, say you have a small doctor that has 100 patients? If the data breach is 100 people, is that 100 data breaches or is that one? 
Well, a particularly aggressive lawyer would be able to argue that it was 100 cases and it should, you sh they should charge you $10 million. I don't think the government regulation is all that specific on that. It just says per instance. That seems absolutely reasonable. But it, the, the oh, good thing, oh, the I'm good sorry, thing is, piece of information. Okay, it's time to close Discord because I'm getting distracted by somebody typing at me. Go listen to podcast. Anyway, <laughs> it makes sense that at least the HIPAA thing is making people involved with the industry take security a little more seriously. And I'm guessing it's somebody's job, and part of that job is when you're hired, you have to sign on saying, "Yes, I know this is my responsibility to make sure." that we're doing everything to our best ability to make sure this wouldn't happen. And, and while I'm certainly never, I've never been a particular advocate of government agencies coming in and trying to tell individuals what to do. In fact, I, you, you may have noticed over the last 49 episodes, I'm kind of the opposite, but HIPAA at least does have, I mean, it is a massive pain in the ass. And I think that it is one of the reasons why healthcare is so damned expensive and inconvenient but it does at least provide some protection. The problem is, uh, you know, going back to, say, elections or light bulbs, is that most industries do not have a HIPAA. They do not have any kind of regulatory body saying that you need to you know, keep your data secure or you, you know, who, who is going to charge Philips $100,000 per light bulb that they sell? <laughs> That's an expensive that has light bulb. Those light bulb prices would have to go way up. And and they should, because if you actually paid the real cost, well, you, I mean, technically you do. The real cost is your privacy. Um, but you know, HIPAA exists to protect your medical records, uh, but there's no HIPAA to protect your, uh, your passwords or your bank account details in transit when you're connecting to a website. So the... In, in most industries, the only real incentive that we have to try to make these companies give a crap about security is to destroy their reputation when they have a breach. And the problem is that capital punishment is, has, you know, there is, there is lots of evidence that capital punishment does not actually prevent crime because it, I mean, the only crime that it prevents is that the person you murdered or killed will not commit any more crimes and i guess that's good but it doesn't really keep other people from preventing the, or from committing the same crime and that's the same with silicon valley is if you fine a startup a hundred million dollars because per you know per instance congratulations you just sent that startup into bankruptcy but you've done nothing for the next startup right which is often founded by the same people that founded the one uh, yeah. you just put out of business and, uh, and and if i may this is really the main problem with uh corporatism in in modern economies is we provide government constructed shields of liability known as corporations such that you can manufacture a brand new person out of thin air have that person that quote unquote person be the recipient of all of the liability for the horrible things you do and then you can murder that person with the stroke of a pen saying, I'm going out of business and create a brand new one later. And the people who are actually performing these acts are not held accountable. They can't be held accountable because it's the corporation's fault. And I think that we would see a lot less corporate malfeasance 
if people were able to hold liable the people actually doing it behind the corporation, the executives, the the people, the decision makers in the corporation, rather than just saying, oh, this corporation did something bad, so we'll sue the corporation. But doesn't a lot of this then assume that the people that are doing the enforcing in this case would be the government, sadly? Yes. They have to understand enough of what's going on right because if you're let's just again use a doctor's office as an example there's a possibility that the data still gets um exposed even if they did everything right you know there's a difference between that happening when everything they listen to their it guys when the it guy comes out and says hey this is this has got more holes and vulnerabilities than a piece of cheese and there's a possibility that they listened to everything the IT guy did, said, did everything that he wanted them to do or let him do everything that he needed to do, and the data still gets exposed. There's a big difference between that, which could happen if hackers were looking for specific data on specific patients that just happened to be with that doctor. There's a big difference between that and, well, all of our medical records have been on a all up on a bunch of unpatched Windows XP machines on Wi-Fi without any passwords. But would the government know the difference between the two of those things is my question, I guess. Uh, they would if they had sufficiently skilled people in the government. Sufficiently <laughs> skilled people in the government? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you, can you do that again without me talking over it? Because we, we need ISOs <laughs> of these labs. Uh, if, if the government had sufficiently skilled people... I mean, I still I can have oh, myself in my own track. If you want that, I can extract uh, that for not, you. Not, not laugh. Well, just we have people in the troll room wanting to extract my laugh that I just made. Okay, well, let's see. And, well, and it's good to be that popular. You, you're going to be directed. Set. Okay, here in the three, you will be directed by the great Darren O'Neill. So, three, two, one, laugh. <laughs> that will be a great ringtone for somebody. Oh God, that's <laughs> almost as bad as the goat scream. If anybody ever goes to a meetup where Sir Bemrose is, make sure that is like your text tone and just keep texting each other through the whole thing. That would be fantastic. But these do lead to some serious questions about, uh, you know, who do you hold responsible and how? uh, Obviously, the, you know, the in this case, the government in, in your scenario is taking the form of an auditor and anybody who's auditing needs to have enough expertise to be able to recognize and it is not automatically true that everybody who is on the government payroll is a complete moron um they are incentivized toward it but uh, by accident somebody who really understands what's going on will make it in so uh, i as long as you have some reason to believe that those people might be the ones checking it out yeah okay it's hopeless probably but if somebody again if these we've talked about security issues in the past where oh, somebody you drop a usb stick you know or it'd be very easy to do this in a doctor's office i guarantee you if i really wanted to i could you know toss a usb drive you know under the desk that the receptionist at the you know, the doctor uses and nobody would know where it came from and they would just assume this was oh this was somebody here and i almost guarantee somebody would put it into the computer and this stuff like with the air gap computers i thought is just very james bond very fascinating the story that talked about all you need is like a security video camera the you get this on the computer which again throw the usb key once this program's on the computer it could start transmitting data 
basically kind of like using Morse code, making yeah. small changes to the intensity of the light. Yeah, yeah, on the monitor. So all I mean, you need you is could, a video camera I mean, to pick can, that up and then can be recompile that data. You can do something that that looks to all the world like monitor flicker, but it could be code. Yes, which is fantastically <laughs> wild. Um, you know, the anything that sends out to anybody anybody knows the the technique of you can code a message into a jpeg in in the trash bits or or in an audio file or any, anything that that has you know high bandwidth multimedia you can encode a message inside of that by you know changing the the last bit of the color of every seventh pixel or something like that right which uh, is one of those the scenography is with the photos that was one of the big things with in the early days of fighting the terrorists, everybody was worried about every photo on the internet. Yeah. And, and you should be because three quarters of them are photos of either cats or selfies. <laughs> and uh, this scourge must be stopped. You never I, know what's I, hidden in those photos. Oh my God. I, when I was in Hawaii, it was the, I mean, I, I've seen people like this in Seattle, but selfie sticks seriously they still exist stop yes and people still use them and when you got like some old wrinkled desiccated 270 year old chinese woman who i think that was a smile and is you know she's like three foot one and holding out a selfie stick and the phone is on the end of the selfie stick and just walking down the street taking a selfie and looking up at this phone and smiling and swinging it around and you know like you have to fucking dive into traffic to not get hit by selfie sticks down there in hawaii <laughs> that is the score well set them up onto the top of a volcano and then just you know you got room keep going a couple more steps back uh, okay perfect yeah <laughs> perfect perfect you get the picture you need we'll, we'll we'll get your cell phone from the bottom left there sadly the state of hawaii has fenced off most of their open volcanic vents no well, that's harder to just get rid of those selfie stick people then. I there there was a time when when you could walk up, but you know, nowadays all all natural places of beauty must be fenced off lest somebody, you know, they well, they ended up putting a big ass fence around old faithful, was it? Because somebody was stumbling in and then discovering that the water is 170 degrees. <laughs> the geyser, man. Did you I'm think like, it was cold? Natural selection. <laughs> yes. Natural I, selection. I'm not saying we should make stupidity illegal, but maybe if we just took some of the warning signs off of things. Yeah. Knowledge and, is power. And there, there is a way to get rid of the, uh, the people who don't want to learn. And which is why with any of the security stuff, it's the same thing. You should learn. And this was the, the article on the air gapping thing. The company, the researchers, um, they're the Ben Garion, G-U-R-I-O-N researchers. This said uh, that wasn't the first time they came up with a covert technique to target air gap computers. This is the things that they've figured out or uh, played with in the past. Power hammer. It's an attack to get data from air gap computers through power lines, which That's is genius. Power I guess. Hammer. You know, uh, what did I say? Power hammer is a really good name for a vulnerability. It is. That's that's the kind that can get viral media attention. It's the power hammer and all computers have to be plugged in at some point. So, you know, that's genius. I guess there if you can. I mean, we know that the uh, networking works 
over power lines if you have a sending and a receiving unit. But I guess this is kind of similar. You don't even need that. They can pull something off just by that. Another technique was mosquito, which was two or more air-gapped PCs in the same room covertly exchanging data via ultrasonic waves. Yeah. I, I mean, if if you control the sender and you control the receiver, there you've lost because there's no way that you you can't block the the thing in the middle anymore. It it doesn't work. That's true. I mean, even even back in the day when we didn't have all these techniques, you all you really needed to do was give fifty thousand dollars to some underpaid IT guy who has access to the server room. And you you can f- walk in and find all your hard drives missing one day. The magneto technique uses CPU generated magnetic fields as a covert <laughs> channel between air gap systems and nearby smartphones. I mean, who figured this crap out? I well, mean, that that one at least is self regulated by all of the other malware that's already on the smartphone and the other people who are going to be able to you know I- intercept that. That is fantastic. Another one, USB, and that's USB-EE. You can steal data from air gap computers using radio frequency transmissions from USB connectors. So USB connectors will put off. Sure. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, who I thinks mean, you, of that? You, you've got electric, electricity moving through metal creates an electric field. You can create all sorts of things that understood, you know, that can detect that field and I mean, we're we're all walking around with little rectangular things in our pockets yes. that have a thousand sensors that are all designed to detect different types of magnetic fields. Okay, this the air, air hopper turns a computer's video Ooh, card hopper, in, into an FM transmitter to capture keystrokes. Are, are these are these vulnerabilities being named by a PR agency? Because this is good. This is better than than most computer professionals are going to come up with yeah i'm guessing it's the researchers that are coming up with it so obviously they're having a lot of fun the doing researchers this either they they clearly have their own pr guy yeah i mean this is some good stuff and the other one fansmitter it's a technique that uses the noise emitted by a computer fan to transmit data i don't even know how you can I mean, just think about that they're varying the speed of the computer fan in order to transmit the data yeah well, my computer varies the speed in order to transmit the information that I'm working my CPU too much. Well, that's because it just says hot, hot, hot. But you can't yeah, actually well, pick up what you're doing on the other side if somebody hears you. And, your and fan. maybe I need to go in there and remove some of the cat hair from the fan once that, in a while. <laughs> that is probably a good idea. Or what you just need is a couple of those little, uh, they sell them, you know, at Home Depot for air vents. You know, the little filters, you can just put that in front, catch the air, the cat hair before it goes inside of the machine. Or is that too easy? I, I I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Filters. Go to Home Depot. You can cut uh, them up. They're I'm beautiful. confused. I know. You're, you can be dense. I mean, people have figured this out through 49 <laughs> our, episodes of our, our, our server downstairs for a while. I had, you know, it, the only thing in it is uh, you know, hard drive, memory, motherboard, CPU. Um, there's, there's not even a graphics card in there because it's a headless computer, um, but it's a, I just threw it all into a beige box that the you know uh, uh, old PC case that I had laying around, um, and I didn't put the front panel on because it didn't. I mean, it didn't matter too much. I, I wasn't you know I didn't need the to worry about the airflow or anything. 
Right. But I realized why I needed to put the panel on the front of it. And that is when I went downstairs one day and saw my cat nestled right up against the, the memory sticks of my running server <laughs> inside of the case. <laughs> well, at least they weren't, you know, pawing at the little power connectors. No, no. And, and although there may have been pawing at the fans, I'm sure that quit real quick. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, cats may be smarter than humans. You stop it once and go, oh, that hurts. My brother-in-law yeah. did that once at, uh, <laughs> this was years and years and years ago. There may have been drinking involved, but in a completely dark room with a ceiling fan and a strobe light, if you get the strobe light at the exact right frequency, it will look like the fan has stopped even though it's going yeah. full speed. Well, you can you can see that on uh on videos of cars driving if if the wheels are spinning at exactly the 30 rpm or you know a certain it's a certain speed um then you catch exactly the frame rate of the camera that's viewing it and it looks like the car is moving but the wheels aren't turning. Yeah, helicopter blades the same way. Yeah. Wild stuff. You don't want to put your hand into those either. No, no, there's lots of places that you probably shouldn't put your hand. <laughs> yes, and cats will learn that. They'll they'll stay off it. And uh, yeah, you don't want them crawling into your server. That could probably be problematic. I mean, that is that is a that's a great tech guy tip. Don't let so, your cat inside your computer. Congratulations, Sir Bemrose. Nobody else thought of that. I, well, I, I, I come up with these things so that you don't have to make my mistakes. And we appreciate it. So the big story from this week that that i just had to bring to the show uh because i love this one uh and, and you're going to hear about it a lot because it's totally going viral it hit the verge that's how you know something's viral that's big uh is tesla remotely removes autopilot features from customers use tesla without any notice okay explain what they actually did and was it from everybody okay or just one no. guy who was a okay dick? so here's here's what happened um tesla Sold a car new to somebody with all the options, uh, full package. You know, they charge, you know, $8,000 for the autopilot feature, even though it's software. There's a bit in software. The, the software is there. The autopilot exists. It's in the computer. It works. And there's a bit that says Tesla has decided you are allowed to use this. And you give Tesla $8,000 and they reach into your car remotely and turn the bit on. That's how it works. So uh, this Tesla was sold originally by the dealership to uh, with the full package and the original owner got rid of it under california's lemon law and the i didn't quite understand this from the article but it looked like it was sold under the lemon law because of a known issue where the screens turn yellow well, I guess that's why it's all, I mean, that's not why I, they call it. I don't a lemon, know why but. you'd throw out a whole car because the center console screen green changes Especially when, I mean, what's the cost of replacing that? Well, usually know, with the lemon laws, that means you, I think usually you have to give the car manufacturer like two or three chances <laughs> to fix the problem. And if that's the I, case, yeah. then Tesla couldn't fix and, the screen. And, and maybe that's it. But regardless, the car was sold at auction after being the lemon law applied and a used car seller picked it up at auction and decided to put an as is sticker on it and sold the car to a new owner who apparently didn't mind that their screen was yellow. I, I, I wouldn't. Well, you're colorblind. So, that's, that's probably the big reason. Yeah. So my, or the, the new owner then picks up the car and then Tesla 
in is doing a remote audit of their cars of of all the cars on the road and this by the way right there that should scare the fuck out of you that they're doing an audit is doing remote audits of every car on the road to check whether you have valid software they discovered that this car was no longer owned by somebody who had paid them for the eight thousand dollar package and reached in and flipped it off and suddenly this car which presumably when you buy a used car especially if you buy a used car that says as is what you're getting is the features that are on the car when you buy it so theoretically this person bought a car expecting that it had auto drive their autopilot and tesla who was not the people who sold it to him in fact tesla had no contract whatsoever with this guy who bought the car he purchased it from a third-party reseller reached in and removed a feature from the car which is only possible with software from a technical perspective but from a legal perspective it's the same as if you go in and take the brakes off of the car after they've parked it in their driveway i would be curious what the laws are on these kind of things because it's it's very possible that by selling somebody the hardware the original buyer that they're buying the software which isn't transferable i mean i'm not saying this would make it right but i'm curious about the legalities of it and if the original uh person that bought the car knew that you know hey once you're getting rid of the car the software doesn't go with it well and the uh, first of all that uh, what you just said is ridiculous on its face probably uh, there there is a concept known as the first sale doctrine which has governed transactions between humans for a very very long time even even if it wasn't i I don't remember when somebody first called it the first sale doctrine but i know it goes back to the beginning but the question is are you buying the software with the car is it part of the car or is the first doctrine the first sale doctrine has been anally raped by lawyers who suddenly (laughs) discovered that they could craft a contract such that you no longer buy goods you buy a license to use goods and and this is this is a only enabled by government granted copyright monopolies you have you know uh, things like the dmca you uh, a company that provides software has thanks to overarching copyright laws has the ultimate right to control that any way they want and if their lawyers are worth their salt the lawyers will say you don't own anything we're just through our magnanimous you know we're magnanimous enough to give you a license to this software for only as long as you keep us happy and this has gutted the first sale doctrine the first sale doctrine is is a doctrine that has been upheld by the supreme court many many times that says the only entity you know when when a good is sold for the first time that that is a contract between the producer of the entity and the person who bought it and that is the only time that the producer of the entity can of the good of the su- service of the supply of the object the only time that they can make any kind of restrictions or or decide how it's going to be used is the first time they sell it once it's been sold it can be resold to anybody else and the people who created it can't say no and can't put restrictions on it 
And that has been upheld in case law in the United States for 200 years. Well, There's yeah, but not good case law around first sale doctrine in the digital age. And right. So, well, that's it's a hardware software thing, because that's why I asked if this but what with makes the software Tesla. Different? Well, here's what makes software different. If you're treating it different now, if it comes as an option on the car, I guess, then it should be included with the car. But if it's something like you bought the car. Now, after you buy the car, you could add this software. That's different because that's like me buying a new laptop then adding Adobe Photoshop to it and selling the laptop. I can't sell Adobe Photoshop with the laptop legally. So it's a, it's an interesting conundrum. But, but according to the first sale doctrine, you can. You can. No, you can't resell software you bought from somebody. Well, it, you know, for, OK, so are, are you saying on the moral side or are you? <laughs> well, I mean, by the licensing, it, the legal side, it's not that, ethical to resell software. No, I would. Well, I disagree in the I mean, in if, where it comes down to if it was something it depends how software is being implemented because in if, the old if I days buy, if I, I buy an adobe suite and then i decide i don't want it and i offer to sell it to you and you have some assurance that i have deleted every copy that i have locally so i do not have access to it yes is that unethical no but that's not how software works anymore for most things i mean i I'm, we're old we remember when you actually needed a disc or a cartridge to plug into your uh to your machine to get the software to work now it's a little bit different you know and it depends if they're offering this i mean i don't know how tesla does it uh, but I'm, I'm guessing they're doing it on a subscription kind of basis which means then maybe if it's sold as such then i could see where you can't also sell that with the vehicle but it really depends on how it's initially sold and what the agreement was when you're buying it i mean i think it's a douche move anyway i'm just curious legally what is what's well, going okay, on there. so here's here's the situation legally uh we have 40 years of people selling licenses for software instead of selling the software itself which means that no licensed software has ever gone out of copyright how weird would it be if five years later things went out of copyright that would be a legal question in itself that i'd love to see but it won't happen within my lifetime uh you don't know that we could but, freeze your head <clears throat> yeah that that's not actually much of a life <laughs> But the way that software is sold is lawyers write up complicated agreements where you are effectively buying a license. But here's the thing. The Supreme Court has never upheld or heard a case where they decided that the first sale doctrine does not apply to software. There, there have been a number of cases that have kind of danced around it there was uh you know there was autodesk there was uh i think adobe had one but there there has never been a definitive supreme court case that i know of and and somebody may fact check me on this and in that case fuck you uh but first day first sale is still a thing that applies uh the as far as i know the prevailing argument on first sale these days is that it is not applying directly to software. I think that, that that area has been lost. But the place where first sale absolutely still applies is any physical good. And in this case, I'm not talking uh, Adobe Premiere. I'm talking a Tesla. I know, but it's kind iPhone. of the same thing depending or, how it is sold originally. No, no, hardware are physical objects. And if you want to get into the minutia of physic of law, then first sale applies to physical objects. 
And so a, a John Deere tractor. Hey, I uh, understand uh, what you're we're, saying. We're getting into we're getting into the right to repair show again. <laughs> well, but, which is good. We're oh, we like a throwback. Hey, and I understand the concept because I may or may not have sold an old uh, Amazon Kindle completely loaded up with <laughs> thousands of books. Yeah, that was that was the most awesome way to get pirated music back in the day was you'd buy an iPod and then you'd go you'd load the iPod up with you know 2 terabytes of or however whatever the full capacity right. of music and then you'd be like yeah used ipod throw it up on ebay but that's kind of the concept we're dealing with with this software and i'm not saying it's right or wrong i just find it to be an intriguing thing and i hope it does go through to the supreme court five years you know well the, the length of the copyrights are relevant <laughs> because again if somebody wants to sell something six months or six days after they purchase it then it would still be under copyright so that part's irrelevant yeah. It's, uh, but it's, it's no, no, I would, I would, what, what is relevant about the length of copyright is that nobody has had to ever ask the question of what if a piece of licensed software goes out of copyright. Nobody has ever addressed that question. And the reason is nobody has to for another 80 years. And I'm assuming what will have if, to if happen would be that shorter, software has to be then unlocked. Although I guess it's a weird thing. If copyright were shorter, if if a piece of software went out of copyright during the lifetime of the developer who writes it, then the developer might actually be incentivized to come up with a scheme whereby the software can pass into the public domain. But with the copyright laws being as ridiculous as they are now, it is impossible. It, it, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever if I write a piece of software, even if I write a work for hire piece of software for a giant corporation, there is no incentive whatsoever for me to provide any means at all of using that software after it's gone out of copyright because my kids, my grandkids are be dead before it ever goes out of copyright. It's not so no, you know, nobody will be using the software. But I think you're, you're misunderstanding what people would do and the incentive would then be to create something like everybody seems to be doing now software that requires a mothership so even if the thing goes out of copyright you can't use it anymore or you have to pay them to do the mothership part or they you just know, as as a side note there uh the uh copyright office the uh, library of congress i think whoever it is the the dmca gave permission to some government agency to create carve outs in the in the DMCA clause that prevents you from decompiling uh, and breaking encryption uh, in order for specific things. Uh, one of the notable carve outs they made was uh, for unlocking phones. Um, another one that they made a couple years ago was a carve out for people uh, for abandonware games that require a server. People have been going in and reverse engineering the game in order to understand the server protocol and then writing brand new servers and this violates the copyright because you're not allowed to use that game with without the servers that were created by the company but the company goes out of business right and there's nobody to put up servers and nobody cares anymore except for the small group of people who desperately want to continue playing this game right nobody's and fighting that and it well it violates the dmca though yeah but nobody's fighting it so nobody's going to pay attention uh, you know there actually are the the big companies who want to be able to control it forever even if they sell it 
you know, what they want to do is say, well, this, this game we just purchased from this other company, or we just bought the company that developed it. And therefore we want to revive this game 20 years later. That's, you know, I don't know if you pay, pay much attention to Nintendo, um, but that's their entire business model is Nintendo was huge in the video game market back in the 80s. Right. And they created a bunch of very, very popular games. People still with love Mario. Like Zelda and Metroid and Mario and Castlevania. Well, that's because Nintendo's business model these days is to continue releasing the same fucking Mario game every two years. And it's very profitable for them. Well, which is, which is we've seen a lot of crazy stuff is uh, in the troll room. JC Jr. actually has a, a good point. Thank you, JC Jr. Uh, which is that is the reason why there used to be an Damn extra. How, how did we let that slip through a surcharge on CDs and DVDs and well, even cassette tapes? JC Jr. There were, that's uh, Phillips, the company, I think, that created cassettes. You know, have been getting kickbacks and, uh, you know, this, this whole piracy tax thing. You know, it's it's some crazy stuff when it comes down to the things that the people have done to try to uh, even the playing field up and, and better in the troll room. And you should be there on Fridays at 11 a.m. Central when we're doing the show, noagendastream.com. Slave216 is a question. I think that would be, I know you've done this. I, I guarantee without even uh, hearing your answer to this, he wants to know if anybody's ever mixed up some Romulan ale. And I'm guessing you've done that at some point. yes um sort of uh what i ended up doing was combining uh vodka midori and blue caraco and it gave a a kind of a shiny blue flavor and then i had some blue leds in the background and it looked and so we called it romulan ale but i have no idea what romulan ale actually is i'm sure there's a lot of different (laughs) variations there's there's a geek bar near me called the afk tavern and uh anybody who is is in the seattle area probably should check out afk tavern at least once because this place is pretty badass um that serves a drink called a romulan ale they are they build themselves as a geek bar and you, when you walk in uh you know everything on their menu is themed from geek culture be it video games or doctor who or or whatever um they they have posters from world of warcraft or from uh sca or or um what's it who's the the reenactment groups that do yeah anyways um this place is they play up the the geeky aspect of their bar experience and yes they totally have something called a romulan ale i have no idea what goes in it as long as i mean really with romulan ale it's just the look that matters isn't there to be you know it's a show there's no actual Romulan ale. And and here's my tip. Here's my tip. If you walk in somewhere where they're serving Romulan ale, your first question needs to be, is it made with real Romulans? And if they don't smack you in the head, you're not at a real geek bar. Exactly. Nice. So have we covered everything that we need to cover for today's show? Um. Oh, no, I've still got notes. But Really? On a, well, okay. Yeah, you, well, you use the word need. Uh, I did want to point out one other story that popped up and, and it has something to do with the, you know, the, the topic that I sort of, yeah, I will continue in future shows to continue ranting about things where tech devices expire because the company just, you know, like windows seven. Um, do you remember in 2017, there was an iPhone throttling scandal where 
Well, that, yeah, if I remember correctly, uh, it was because Apple, Apple said, yeah, their software, they put it on the, the older devices. They always want everybody to be on the same bit of software, kind of like Microsoft. So the problem was the newer software was well, causing the older phones issues. So they slowed them down. Apple's side of the story is that as the batteries wear out, they can't provide as much a power to the system. And when you don't, when you undervolt a CPU, that's very, very bad. So they created a software patch that would reduce the CPU load if the battery wasn't providing enough power in order to save the CPU. And <clears throat> that's the Apple side of things. The, the non Apple side of things is they created a software patch that cuts down your CPU power so that your device would be slow and you'd go buy a new device. I don't know which of those is true. Um, but I have a guess in, in pointing out just how quickly the wheels of regulation spin, that story was the beginning of 2017. Uh, France a regulatory body in France just issued a fine for this incident of, of planned obsolescence. The fine is 25 million euros. And I can tell you that with a fine that stiff, Apple is totally going to continue doing this and won't give a shit. <laughs> well, yeah, it was like the Houston Astros getting hit with a $5 million fine in the cheating scandal of stealing signs. It's nothing to $5 million to a baseball team, 25 million euro, nothing to Apple. But I would also question if you could actually prove that Apple did this. Again, they have their story. This comes down again to having experts that can prove that what Apple is saying doesn't hold any water. Because even though it might have the same effect, if what Apple is saying is true, it is still their ecosystem, and you can't necessarily prove that they were doing something to screw with their customers and try to sell new phones, although it might have had that well, of effect. Of course not. It's closed. You can't prove anything. It's closed source, and they refuse audits. So, of course, you can't prove. And I would like to know how much money that's, Apple that's has the, made. the curse of closed source software. Yeah. How, much, how many euros has Apple made, or do they make in France in a year? I'm guessing it's more than $25 million. Oh, I'm certain of it. So, uh, although uh, this this has happened, it, the only time I've ever seen a company actually go through with it was with with Google in China a while back. Back when Google actually still had "Don't Be Evil" written on their wall and wasn't painted over with a devil sign. Well, yeah, uh, now they just painted over the "Don't Be." Uh, when when a yeah, <laughs> no, just the "Don't." It says "Be, <laughs> be evil. evil." Right, right. Um, when when a when a government oversteps its bounds and sa tells a company effectively, you know, you suck, you can't do anything, then the company has every right to say, okay, we're not going to do business in this country anymore. And Google did that with China for a while, although they they're back now because their love of money is is much higher. Plus, they're they're powerful now that they have Congress people in their pockets. Um, but uh, oh. Th that was one example. The other example, again, was Google back in the day. I mean, they they, they were pretty awesome to watch back in the day uh, was when uh, I want to say Spain, one of the European countries passed a regulation that said uh, you have to uh, you have to your news reader, your news aggregator, uh, you must list local company or, you, you know, was 
they started saying if you link if your search engine links to a local news site you have to pay them for that link because sure. you're stealing their content and so google said okay well then we're not going to list that local content and the people the the news companies in spain got so pissed off that spain then passed a law that said your news aggregator must list local content before any remote content and you must <laughs> you know you have to list it and you have to pay for it and google said oh i'm sorry um you're you're in a dot es domain we we don't offer news aggregation there which I, it was it was awesome because i do really enjoy I, I I really enjoy whenever anybody gives a fuck you to uh, a government passing ridiculous regulations, even if it is a huge corporation making tons of money. It's a it's a battle royale. Well, uh, I, I mean, yeah, it, huge corporations tend to be evil. Governments tend to be evil uh, when they're fighting each other. That 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 can only be good for the rest of us, which is exactly why we have to be very wary of things like the un and the concept of a one world government because once you have that then <laughs> oh these, god no yeah these kind of things stop happening which is why i mean yeah. you know, we've let's, talked about piracy let's take, let's take the hundreds of let's take remove the hundreds of unaccountable local governments around the world and replace them with one local unaccountable government that controls everything and so the you know all the corruption can gravitate to one location and all the power and all the hackers know that there's only one IT department to hack anymore. <laughs> it makes things a lot easier when it comes down to it. But it's it an does. interesting, I mean, again, we go, we go back to your copyright. It's a good thing. time to be an anarchist. Yeah. And we talked about your copyright concept a lot on the, uh, these 49 episodes. And this is why, I mean, there's somebody that's collected that's live. You, you haven't come around to my side of this. Well, no, I'm not saying I'm not coming yeah. along around to your side. I just, have to uh, keep poking the bear but there's a reason why i mean collecting bootlegs <laughs> as a kid with all of the vinyl was and then the cds was coming out of italy because at the time italy was like make whatever you want we don't care and uh you know these things then yeah. got out of italy you know it, it, it was much harder italy to control the eu and all of their copyright laws changed yes and then the world went to crap yeah. it, you know that's that's why brexit yeah, because, is a good because thing. that's the other thing is if if you are somebody with a lot of money and an agenda it is difficult to go to a dozen different governments and lobby all of them and try to convince all of them to pass your pet legislation it is far easier when there's only one government and you can go in and buy off a few lawmakers and uh, you because you have enough money you can afford them and get your pet legislation passed when you know that you only have to do it once it makes corruption easier. Okay, I'm I'm ranting about politics. This isn't a politics show. You do you mentioned that earlier. <laughs> it's a little bit of everything. And that I mean that is the question. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> Episode 50 on Valentine's Day. We were always kidding, although there's something to be said for the first 50 were in beta and then once we get out of beta, we know what we're doing. I mean, I don't think we're going to know what we're doing anymore in Episode 51. Well, but things change and things when, and when things we first take different started forms. this when when we first started this show, you you were pushing me. You and, and Void Zero both were pushing me and saying we we'd really you know think that you'd you'd be good as a podcaster. And I'm like, no, nobody wants to listen to me. Nobody wants to hear my obnoxious voice or my unhinged ranting. No, nobody wants that. And 
you guys pushed me to try it and we tried it on a trial basis and we're still in beta and i always had the nagging doubt in the back of my head that was was this just the long con where darren and void zero is just putting me on and i'm convinced that show 50 which is officially out of beta uh is the point where you're gonna pop out and pull the mask off your face and suddenly you're ashton kutcher and <laughs> i've been pumped I'm punked. that is really the epitome of the long like, haha, you're not a podcaster well you'd have to tell the- you think we're gonna get to 200 yeah, I think so. Well, you'd have to tell the hundreds of people that are listening to Grumpy Old Ben's that you're not a podcaster, and I think they would disagree. Podcasting is wide open. Uh, what about the hundreds of people who are donating? Well, especially them. You'd have to be, they're holding you accountable now. They're telling you with their funds yes. that they, they want you to do more of this. I mean, nobody yet has sent in a donation and said, shut Bemrose up. Don't cash my check unless you get this guy off the air. Nobody yet. But if you want to, that's fine. <laughs> now I mean, that you've said that, we're going to get one of those. We're going to get one of those checks. And, <laughs> and then if you, if you want to, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, donate, anybody that donates 500 or more, you can replace Ryan Bemrose on one episode of Grumpy Old Ben's. I mean, that would be an honor. Of course, you would be there to fact check them. Uh, so my question is, what has Larry donated, and when when do I get my cut of that check? <laughs> Larry has donated his time. He has donated his voice. He's donated his encouragement. And really, I blame Larry for getting me back into podcasting on a on a regular basis. So um, you can I can point to Larry. That's the reason random yeah, thoughts it, came around. That was the reason. He's like, do it. So means that you're indirectly blaming Larry for me. Yes. You're indirectly blaming Larry for Bemrose becoming a podcaster. Yes, and then now Sir Matthew. So this all goes back to Larry. And if you don't if you're not listening to that Larry show, you should be that Larry show.com. And we mention it not because he's paying and us, cold but acid it's is because we like the show. And, and cold acid says nobody's gonna donate to Grumpy Old Ben's demanding that Sir Bemrose shut up. If anything, we're going to demand that Darren O'Neill riles him up more. <laughs> that Worry is what not, people want. That is on Darren's agenda. It is. Well, it's one of those things. I mean, I'm, I don't have the, uh, you know, the problem. We don't even need to be recording for you to do that. No. Well, it's even more fun when we're not recording. I mean, because I'll just like leave a little message over an IRC (laughs) and then leave. Because especially if I know it's going to annoy you. Our, our, our IRC back channel is, we, we talk asynchronously all the time because we're not always online at the same time. And we'll just drop a line in and then three hours later, come back and there's another sarcastic comment. And then three hours after that, there's another jab. That's how it works. We should be logging these things. Oh, wait, I am. See, you have, you have a log of absolutely everything. Okay. And now we are, we are now podcasting about a text format. I think we, our show has run its course. But I think people like we should IRC. get out while we're still in beta. We should get out while we're still in beta. And if anybody wants to send along any words of encouragement for episode 50, which will be happening on Valentine's Day, 4804 Grumpy, or you can email Darren at GrumpyOldBenz.com or Ryan at GrumpyOldBenz.com. It should be fun. It's going to be a love fest on Valentine's Day. And you suggested the topic of love. I don't know exactly what that will uh, comprise of, but I'm sure it will be. Uh, it will be interesting. Uh, it's going to be a lot of of undirected rambling and the occasional rant. 
and I, I would mean, be it's going to be a grumpy old Ben's show. Yeah, I mean, I think it would also be interesting to you know to talk a little bit about the you know the dating scene with apps and all this other kind of stuff. So it'll be a grumpy old Ben's show. And if you like what you're hearing here on Grumpy Old Ben's, the best thing you can do is subscribe grumpyoldbens.com. You can subscribe in Android, Apple, Stitcher. You can get it, the show emailed to you every time a new one drops. And if you really like what you're hearing, you can hit that little donate button one time monthly. Anything is appreciated to help us keep the lights on. I mean, and the firewood going into the stove out there in uh, on the left coast where you need a little firewood when it gets cold. And if you where, these, where yeah, where the technology, the technology of electric heaters hasn't quite made it this far. We're still burning <laughs> wood for heat. You wonder why people call you a Luddite. You actually have to chop wood and put it into a stove to heat your home. I mean, you're kind of like Grizzly Adams with cats. I don't think uh, yeah, he had uh, a bear. Or, or it's just a secret. <laughs> or chopping wood is just a secret plot to get some exercise when I sit on my ass in front of IRC the rest of the time. True. Or do you have a chainsaw or somebody else that goes out and does that for you? I We do have a chainsaw, but I spend a lot of time on the idiot end of a splitting mall. That's hardcore. That is hardcore. So we, we'll give you credit for that. Every tool has two ends. It has the business end and the idiot end. The business end is dangerous, and the idiot end is where you put the idiot. And that is where you'll find, find Sir Ryan Bemrose. So until next time, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America just outside of Chirac where grumpy old Ben's 50. Will it be our last? And from America's left coast where I bought it, I paid for it, stop turning off my autopilot. I'm Ryan Bemrose. Thank you.